0: Good morning, everyone. Uh, My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I'm still a bit new here, and so I thought I'd start by telling you uh, a little bit of something about myself and something that's fairly fairly specific, but relatively important. And that is that uh, I once had a very promising touch footy career. Uh, I had a long and illustrious career of three and a half games, uh, and I won all of them. Uh, And probably, you'll never convince me, it was because I had a professional footy player on my team. I had something great going, but it didn't last. My career was derailed because in the last game, I bent over to pick up the ball and my spine decided it didn't want to fully sit on top of itself anymore and hurt my back and I've never played again since. Great things can often face great dangers that derail it. You know, uh, orange juice is a great thing, but if you brush your teeth right beforehand, it completely derails the taste. Uh, You know, Walkmans, I'm sure many people from the morning will remember Walkmans. They were great, but completely derailed by new technology. Uh, A little more seriously, there were great things like the Hindenburg, uh, one of the early passenger-carrying airships. Uh, It was a great advance in technology. You could fly, but it used hydrogen to get people off the ground, which eventually caught a light, and it really tragically killed a whole bunch of people. It was horrible great things often face great dangers that can derail it and it can cause serious problems in the passage we're looking at today the question we see is what does a great church look like and what are the great dangers that can derail it what does a great church look like and what are the great dangers that can derail it now if you're new here it's great that you're here this morning you might be thinking Why do I need to hear about what a great church looks like and what are the dangers that can derail it? Well, I reckon there's a lot of distortions of what church is out there, maybe what you think of what church is, or maybe you've had some experiences of church. This passage is gonna show you a picture of church that I think is different to what you're expecting. And it's a picture of something that I reckon you're gonna wanna be part of when you see what it really is. And it's something I think you'll find here. If you're a regular, uh, this passage is great because it's going to inspire us and lift our eyes to see what church really is and can be. And it's a warning to us about how we can move away from being the church that God wants us to be. So it's great that you're here this morning. What does a great church look like, and what are the dangers that can derail it? So let's look at the first section. Point one: the idyllic church. In this first section, we see this beautiful picture of the community of God's people, of church. And we're supposed to think when we see it, wow, you know, what an amazing community. I want to be part of a place like that. Because what we see when we look at it is this, a voluntarily selfless and sacrificial community centered around Jesus. A voluntarily selfless and sacrificial community centered around Jesus. Let me show you. So they're totally selfless. Verse 32, have a look. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. They had this attitude of how can I use anything that I've got to love others? So different to what we often see in our world, which is how can I use my stuff to get more stuff for myself? It's a community where people care more for others than they do themselves and they put their money where their mouth is. Amazing, isn't it? They're totally selfless and next you see it's voluntary they weren't forced to do it they did it because they wanted to verse 35 they laid things at the apostles feet to be used for the good of others they did it willingly it was a voluntary action that came out of their love for others and it wasn't just voluntary and selfless it was sacrificial it wasn't just giving away the kind of extra stuff that they had that they won't really miss anyway it cost people deeply uh, we see at the end there, the story of Barnabas. He's highlighted because he sold his whole property and his land. It cost him deeply. The people were giving sacrificially. It's this incredibly beautiful picture of a community. But that's not all. They weren't just a you know, community of hippies who shared a bunch of their stuff. Uh, they were a community centered around Jesus. Verse 33. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of Of the Lord Jesus Uh, this wasn't an additional thing that they did it's the core of who they are everything else comes after and in light of this they are centered around Jesus what a beautiful picture isn't it what an amazing community now this is not saying that we all need to go and sell all our things this is a description of what they did not a prescription of what we should do But the principle of a voluntarily selfless and sacrificial community centered around Jesus is fundamental to being God's people. We want to be a place where everyone is welcomed, where people love each other sacrificially, and we're centered around the king of the universe who gives us life and meaning. Do you want to be part of a community like that? I want to encourage you that this church, in my experience so far, has lots of these characteristics. If you're new, this is an amazing place. You're not gonna find many other places like it. See, even within families, really sadly, we don't always experience something like this. There aren't many places you'll go where people will genuinely love you, where people will welcome you no matter what and sacrifice their stuff just because they love you. But stick around this church and you'll see lots of it. It's uh, It's been my experience. Uh, lots of you will know that on my first day coming here, my dad passed away. Um, and people who, you've never met me before, people loved me incredibly, even though you'd never met me. People made us dinners, um, brought us groceries, prayed for us, called us, gave us space when we needed it. I had patience, so even when we didn't have as much energy to do the things that we'd like to do. Um, it's a beautiful community. If you're new, I'd encourage you to stick around and find out for yourself what it's like. Now, we get this picture of an idyllic church, but in the rest of the passage we see that the church faces many dangers and is under threat of being derailed. And we're going to see three dangers that the early church faced, dangers that I think are still very real for us today. Now, the first danger we see is the danger of Satan and sin. So just after we meet this absolute legend barnabas we meet a couple who are trouble ananias and sapphira and uh, they've probably seen people like barnabas and thought hey you know everyone's talking about how generous and godly and awesome barnabas is i think we should get in on the action you know it'd be great if people thought well we were godly and generous and awesome too except i don't really want to get rid of all of our money you know It'd still be nice to have enough money so we can go to the grumpy baker on a Saturday morning and have breakfast out. Like, you don't wanna miss out on that. And look, obviously we're not gonna get get rid of Netflix, otherwise, you know, what are we gonna do at night? We're gonna have to talk to each other or something. I don't know. So we always need to keep some of our money. So how about we do this? How about we sell our place and we give Peter some of the money, but tell him that's everything that we've got. So we look good, but then we get to keep some of our own money. It's kind of a win-win, right? But as we read, they're found to be lying and then crazily, they get judged by God and killed on the spot, one after the other. It's full on, isn't it? We kind of go, what? How do we make sense of a story like that? Is God going to kill me for lying? No. I think this story makes sense when we realize two things. The first is that this is a story that's played out with human characters, but there's actually something far bigger going on. Really, it's a battle between Satan and God in one of the first expressions of the church. See, verse 3, we see that it's Satan who's filled their hearts. And then in verse 3 and verse 9, we both see that what they've done isn't actually against people, it's against God, the Holy Spirit. This is a showdown between Satan and God at a really significant moment. It's kind of like Luke Skywalker versus Darth Vader when the Death Star's just been built. At the start of the church's life, Satan is trying to destroy it. this story, and I think the severe judgment makes more sense when we realize there's actually a cosmic battle going on at a really significant time in history. Uh, The second thing I think that will help us make sense of this passage is to realize that it's actually a moment of God's great mercy. How's that? Well, it's because God stamps out a serious threat that if left to spread, can can destroy the church. See, holiness is really important to God, it's serious. And partly it's because sin is destructive and can derail the church. Uh, Here their sin was to make themselves look more generous than they were, And it's the kind of thing that undermines actually everything that the church is trying to do and be in chapter four so it encourages selfishness not selflessness and it takes the focus off jesus name and puts the focus on building up your own name it's destructive for a church and god mercifully looks after the church by stamping it out before it can spread now uh, is this a, a danger for us I think it's unlikely that many of us will sell our houses and tell Rod we sold it for 20 bucks and give that to him so that we look really good. But actually, our hearts can often look for ways to seek the praise of people rather than God. Do you ever find that? Maybe we're only interested in serving in ways that other people can see, so that we look godly and gifted and everyone knows we serve. When you search your heart, what is it for you? On the positive side, there are people in this church who do it really well. Uh, There are people who give a significant percentage of what they earn through online banking. It it doesn't matter how much they earn and how much they give, but it costs them greatly. And none of us will ever know who they are. And they do it anyway. Uh, There are people who serve at Jesus Club, our ministry for disabled adults. They, They work tirelessly in a role where people aren't looking around to hold them in high esteem. But they do it anyway out of love, it's amazing. But Sin and temptation are always a lurking danger for us. Holiness is important to God and a lack of it can be destructive to God's people. But you see, danger doesn't only come from inside the church. In the next bit, we see the danger of opposition from the outside. So from chapter 5, verse 12, the apostles are preaching, they're doing miracles, people are getting saved and healed, it's fantastic, Uh, but the religious leaders, they're jealous and so they put them in prison. Uh, But then an angel goes full prison break and gets them out and says to them, go back to where you were arrested, preach the thing that got you arrested in the place where the people who arrested you are definitely going to find you. And then they do it. Like it's crazy isn't it amazing boldness and so then of course the apostles they go out and they do it and of course they get brought back into court uh, and they're forbidden from talking about jesus verse 28 we strictly charge you not to teach in this name and did you see the apostles response verse 29 we must obey god not men there is nothing you can do to stop us talking about jesus so they're beaten and they're let go in verse 41 they go away rejoicing that they were worthy to suffer for jesus it's incredible isn't it like how annoying and impossible would the apostles have been to the rulers Uh, okay we're going to put you in prison They go hey we've got some new people to tell about jesus Uh, they get broken out so they keep on preaching they're forbidden from talking about jesus they say well we're not going to do that say, okay well let's beat them up really discourage them they go away rejoicing, woohoo, we got beaten up. They're like, what do you do with them? The leaders are seriously opposing the church, trying to put a stop to the church and what they're trying to do. Uh, opposition is a serious danger to the church. But here we see it doesn't stop the message of Jesus. Now, uh, opposition isn't something that happened kind of just back then. It still happens today, of course. Uh, our old student minister, some of you might remember him, James, he was... Recently, preaching at a church where he lives, and he got a call two days beforehand saying that the police are coming to church on Sunday, or the day that you're preaching. They didn't say what it was for, but it probably wasn't to say, good job, James, keep going. Now, they ended up not coming on that day. They came the next day, uh, but churches are opposed where he lives, and increasingly, it's happening here. There's, there's a bill in Melbourne that's just been passed which says you can't pray for or tell someone what the Bible says about sex and gender in a pastoral situation. Uh, if you do it, you can go to jail. It's a significant danger to the church. Opposition tries to stop us from doing what the church is called to do. Uh, where do we feel the strain of this in the eastern suburbs? Lots of, lots of places, lots of ways. Uh, but one, one place is among a kind of family and friends and colleagues when people are slagging on Christians, you know, you are bigots and you hate people. Uh, is opposition going to stop us in that moment from saying, I follow Jesus? Because that's what they want. Uh, we'll come back and think a little bit more about that in a moment. But let's move on to the third danger, the danger of changing priorities. At the start of chapter 6, we see a complaint from the Greek-speaking Jews against the Hebrews uh, because their widows are being overlooked in the daily distribution of welfare that's a significant issue. Social justice and helping those in need and making sure that it's fair is a big and important issue to sort out. But the apostles said it's not the most important thing that needs to keep happening. They could have easily spent uh, all their time serving tables, looking out for widows and helping people in need, but they couldn't let it stop them from prioritizing the most important job. Verse two, have a look at that. It is not right that we should give up the preaching, preaching the word of God to serve tables. Verse 4 But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Praying and preaching the good news about Jesus needs to be prioritized over serving tables. That's what the apostles say. Now, what's the thinking that goes on behind that? Well, I think it's to do with understanding the difference between a band aid and a cure. See, serving tables, providing for the needy, is a bit like a band-aid. It's really good and it's important, but it's not a solution to the real problem. Because if we feed someone, they're going to live for a little while longer, but one day they will still die and face God's judgment. But if someone hears the gospel and accepts it, well, they'll live forever. That's the cure. There's so many ways that we can and should be looking after people's physical needs but the priority for our church and leaders is to devote ourselves to prayer and the ministering the Word of God so people are saved. We've got to do both, but we can't prioritise the band-aid over the cure. I think that's what's going on there. So we've seen this idyllic picture of church and this high calling of holiness and the danger of sin. We've seen the danger of opposition and the amazing boldness of the apostles and we've seen the danger of changing priorities. But how can we possibly do it? Like, I don't know about you, but when I read this stuff, I kind of think, wow, what an impossible standard. anyone else think that? How do we live up to this idyllic church? How do we be as selfless and as loving? How can I have even 3% of kind of the courage and the boldness that the apostles had? How can we grow in holiness and avoid the church being derailed by sin? And how can we keep the priority of preaching the gospel when there's obviously so much need out there? How can we live it out? Well, it's not by trying harder, like that's just not going to work, it's too hard. It comes back to chapter 5, verse 30 to 32. We must be captured by the message of the risen Lord and Saviour. We must be captured by the message of the risen Lord and Saviour. So if you go back to when the apostles were in the courtroom and they're forbidden from talking about jesus they say verse 29 we must obey god not men how do they do that well they tell us in the next verse verse 30 they paint this clear picture that they have in their minds and they're absolutely captured by this verse 30 the god of our fathers raised jesus whom you killed by hanging on a tree and god exalted him at his right hand as leader and saviour to give repentance to israel and forgiveness of sins jesus was hung on a tree and took the curse of sin for us and he was raised and exalted as the lord and ruler of the universe and the saviour of the world this is a beautiful picture amazing news like it doesn't get better than that there's nothing better out there if you're someone who doesn't follow jesus and this is the one thing for you to hear this morning jesus is lord and savior and he offers you forgiveness now why do you need forgiveness well it's because our relationship with god is broken we broke it because we've treated god like he's dead by ignoring him by rejecting him and by living like he doesn't exist And when our relationship with God is broken, we're we're cut off from him. We're separated, which is a massive problem because God, he's the source of all life. And being cut off from the source of life means we face death eternally. It's massive. and We need forgiveness to be restored to relationship and life with God. If you want to find out more, please come back to church next week. As Rod mentioned, please come along to Intro Jesus, where we want to introduce you to Jesus in a comfortable place where you can ask questions, write it down in your connect card. I'll give you a call. If you're someone who does trust Jesus, and the takeaway is to grow a bigger and clearer picture of the risen Lord and Saviour in your mind. That's the foundation for how we grow and process all the things happening in this passage. So if we want to be a voluntarily selfless, and sacrificial community centered around Jesus, we've got to be clear on this picture. Because when you see the risen King, you'll know how much you're loved. And so you'll be able to love much. If you've got a big picture of the King who voluntarily sacrificed everything for you, you'll do it for others. If you want to grow in holiness and deal with sin that tries to impress people rather than God, you need to know that Jesus is the Lord of the universe and we are but his creatures. And so it makes absolutely no sense to note ourselves instead of him. If you have that picture, you want to note Jesus. And it makes holiness not a chore, but something that I really want to do because when I see the beauty of the risen king, I want to be like him. And when it comes to boldly sharing the gospel like the apostles, you'd never do it unless you see and know clearly that Jesus, the King of the universe, went through the pain of being hung on a tree to save us from the pain of hell. That's the only way that you kind of cross that invisible pain line of inviting your friends to church, or inviting someone to intro Jesus, or sharing your faith with them. When you realise that the pain of others not being saved is actually more painful than the experience of others putting you down. When it comes to priorities, it's, it's easy to start prioritizing mending the world physically unless you've got a picture, a big picture of what our risen king is doing. He could have emptied every hospital bed, but his priority is dying to give people life. At the start of this series, said that Acts is about the mission of Jesus going forwards, and here we see Jesus at work in each of these situations, keeping his mission going forwards. Because even more than my touch-footy career, God's church is great, isn't it? But it's also constantly in great danger. And so let's be captured by the message of our Lord and Saviour to navigate these dangers and be the church God wants us to be.